This is Clutch Fans. And by the way, shout out to the Clutch fans. You're listening to the Clutch Fans Podcast, an open conversation for Houston Rockets diehards. Houston Rockets is unbeatable. <laughs> Now, here's your host, the man who would have drafted Harold Miner over Robert Ory, Dave Hardesty. Welcome back to the podcast. Uh, we are 11 games into the 2013-14 season. Uh, a lot of things to talk about as far as the Rockets are concerned. Tonight, they play the, the Boston Celtics at the Toyota Center, and they are right now confronted with a, a bit of a situation here with Omer Ashik. Um, here with me today is David Weiner. Uh, you know him as Bema Thug on the board. David, how you doing? Doing great. Love being back on the podcast. <laughs> Good to have you, man. Uh, lots to discuss today. Um, you know, the, the Rockets, to me, uh, I thought in the preseason just looked brilliant, um, borderline dominant at times, um, kind of came out, looked okay to start the year, and just I thought they've had some, some disappointing times. But I think the overall big picture, I'm really quite encouraged by the team because I don't think they've looked that great, uh, yet they're seven and four. Um, I think we've seen an immediate impact of Dwight Howard being on the team. The Rockets are a third in the league in block shots. They're up from 25th last year, uh, leading the league in rebounding up from seventh last year. And that, that's a little bit misleading, but, um, th- those are numbers where you're seeing Dwight's impact right away, but there are, some things that I'm actually encouraged by, and that's that's that they're playing extremely poorly in areas, areas that that will improve. Um, they're leading the league in turnovers per game at a large margin, uh, I think 19.2 per game, uh, third worst in turnover percentage per 100 possessions. This isn't new. I mean, they were dead last in both last year, um, but they're, I think, nearly three turnovers higher per game this year. Um, and the Rockets are leading the league in uh, highest percentage of three-pointers taken, just like last year, about 34 to 35% uh, of their shots, more or less, their field goals are threes. Uh, but they're in the bottom third in three-point percentage, uh, hitting less than 33%. So those two things, are, I think, are going to improve. But three-point percentage in particular is a big reason they've been a little bit disappointing. And when those shots start to fall, uh, Rockets are going to be a heck of a lot better, in my opinion. Um, no, that, that's right, Dave. I mean, I, with the three-point shooters, especially uh, James Harden, Chandler Parsons, and Francisco Garcia, you know, all three have been pretty disappointing from behind the three-point line, and I think all three of those guys are, are undoubtedly going to boost their percentages, and, and that should help things. But Jeremy Lin, who at least on uh, from scoring of the ball standpoint has been phenomenal this year, averaging 18.2 points per game on a blistering 53% from the field, 44% behind the three-point line. Um, yeah, I went back and you know, looked at the, his 25 starts with the Knicks during uh, Linsanity, and basically he was scoring the exact same amount of points on far less efficient shooting. So while I, I think both of us can agree those shooting percentages are probably not going to continue 
uh, it's very encouraging that he's playing at such a high level. And then, you know, for those thinking that the three-point shooting is an aberration, if you discount, I think, the first 30 games of last season when he was working his way back from off-season knee surgery, since then he's been shooting well into the 30s uh, on three-point shooting. He has been a good three-point shooter for the vast majority of his Rockets career. So that's an encouraging sign, and I'm I'm hoping that – that percentage will stay at least in the in the high 30s for the foreseeable future. Yeah, he's been terrific. Uh, been a huge surprise, in my opinion, taking more threes per game this year than he did last year, playing more minutes than he did last year, despite half of those games or so going to the bench, getting the line more often. He's been fantastic. Uh, just those numbers are a bit of a shock to me. That's another, in my opinion, bright spot, that it looks like a lot of this is legitimate improvement uh, that Jeremy Lin's made with his shot. Uh, so I think that's another encouraging thing, that moving forward you've got a guy coming off the bench as a six-man spark who can really score the ball. You know, I, I, I want to get into this Omar Ashik thing. I think the, the Rockets kind of came into a situation, I think, that not necessarily their fault, but they just have a ridiculous amount of asset overlap, if you want to call it, on this team. They signed Lynn and Ashik last year. And the superstars that became available to them, being Harden and and Howard, are just sort of rich man versions of of those guys. And so I think that you look at Ashik and Howard, I mean, you definitely have to, to, you know, Ashik is is on the bench, but you are losing so much. And this Twin Tower experiment failing um, means that, you know, you're capping Ashik's minutes at 10 to 12 per game unless you can play him with Howard during times. And uh, that experiment failing and, and his disappointment bubbling over uh, this past week and, um, you know, sort of abandoning the team here in Saturday's home game against the Nuggets wasn't even available, wasn't even in the arena. Um, it's forced the Rockets' hand. I mean, they, they will probably wait here a little bit uh, to make a move, but it's the Rockets are, were just unfortunately in a position uh, to maximize that trade assets where they needed to wait and they needed to be patient for the right move to come along. And I do, I am concerned that this will cause some problems for this team trying to make it the right deal. Uh, the first thing I wanted to ask you about this though, is, is about his contract. Since many have questions, you know, given that Ashik's salary is significantly different next year, can you give us a breakdown on, uh, on how that contract is structured? Sure. Yeah. The, um, just kind of a, of a, refresher for probably majority of the listeners but you know might be valuable information for some because of omar Oshik and in fact jeremy lynn got the same contract were uh, gilbert arenas rule free agents which is a very rare form of free agent that when you have two or fewer years of service in the league but are such a high quality player that you merit a significant contract there was a certain way to structure deals, and, and Daryl Morey, Sam Hinkie, Gerson Rosas, and the Rockets did a brilliant job of structuring these three-year deals. Basically, the first two years of, the, of Omer's contract, uh, by rule, can pay him no more than $5 million flat the first year and $5.225 million the second year. And then the third year is when it jumps. There's a balloon payment, which is essentially Omer will be making the max uh, next season. But because of the Gilbert Arenas rule, 
the Rockets were able to have the cap hit spread evenly across all three years. So each uh, each of the three years of Omer's deal, his cap hit is only $8.4 million, but last year and this year he is grossly underpaid, and then next year he'll make all that money back and then some. So you do have a situation where because that balloon payment is next season, whichever team trades for Omer Oshik will have to cut that check. So as far as a cap impact, it's going to be relatively easy to move, but any GM that takes him on or any owner is going to have to cut that check for $15 million for Lynn or Oshik because their contracts are the same in any trade. So in your opinion, how difficult would it be to move that deal? Well, you know, I'll I'll kind of give you a very lawyerly response here. <laughs> uh, it depends. Um, I can kind of make it, make a case either way. Um, there are some that that claim that the cap is really all that matters because not only is it uh, the salary cap, but uh, the luxury tax hit uh, is is mitigated by it only being an 8.4 million dollar cap figure. Um, and uh, there are those that would say that. Um, you know that's really the only figure that matters. But the fact of the matter is that that's a you know six and a half million dollar difference. That that money's still going out of the owner's pocket. So it, it is it is definitely worth noting and may detract some teams. But I would say probably a majority of the teams would not be you know, materially you know, swayed away from Omer Oshik over that, especially since some of that cash can be offset uh, in a trade. The Rockets can I think they still have about a million and a half left of their uh, annual uh, cash allotment that they didn't spend in the Royce White trade. But I kind of, over the weekend, I I, I did some very simple math on trying to figure his salary. People talk about the balloon payment, but they forget he is grossly underpaid this season. So you kind of have to balance that, balance those two years out. And uh, if the Rockets were to trade O'Meara on December 15th, which – at least I feel is probably the earliest they would trade him because that's when a lot of free agents can can first be traded and the market for trades really opens up widely. If they're trade if they were to trade him on December fifteenth, uh, his kind of annualized salary would be about a little less than ten point nine million. So it's kind of the equivalent of a of a guy who makes ten point nine million a year. Uh, if they wait till the February trade deadline, that goes up closer to twelve and a half million range, but. You know, if you were to look around the league at all of the above-average defensive starting centers in the league, that's market value. Uh, DeAndre Jordan, 11 million. JaVale McGee, 11.3 million. Andrew Bogut, 12.5 million. Tyson Chandler, 14.5 million. I mean, to get a top-notch defensive starting center in the league, you have to pay big money. And not only that. The benefits of the Omer Asha contract are you have a time value of money component there. It's it's like you're signing a guy to a two-year deal, but he agrees most of the money he'll backload, and you don't have to pay it till a later date. Well, that's all else equal. That's better than paying a guy $10.9 million per year. Uh, and then the, the cap hit again, uh, you're getting a guy who's probably worth 10 or $11 million, but he's only counting eight less than 8.5 against your cap. So... Factoring it all in, I, I think Omer Oshik's contract's not going to sway too many teams. And you have, all, when all is considered for a, a starting defensive elite center like Oshik, it's pretty market value. 
So it sounds like there'd be definitely would be teams interested in him. Uh, I look at the situation as almost a little bit difficult to find the right fit because a guy like Ashik is, is sort of a win now player. A, a team has to be basically ready to take a step forward. I would think adding an Ashik, um, but at the same time, the Rockets are in that same boat. They're looking to add a significant player as well. So it's it's hard to find that right fit. And I, I want to start sort of from the top down. We've been talking, you know, the last year or so about the ideal fits and uh, being Kevin Love and, and LaMarcus Aldridge. I mean, those guys are probably ideal fits anywhere, being that they're two of uh, the very best power forwards in the game, if not the very best. So, you know, I think Love in particular is a guy, you know, has history with McHale, has history with Harden. Uh, LaMarcus Aldridge, we've talked about on a previous podcast. There were rumors in the offseason about the Rockets pursuing him. Um, I know at the All-Star game, he told people about his interest in Houston, um, you know, went to University of Texas. So so both of those, there's reason to, to think that, you know, there would be interest from the player and from, from the Rockets. But th- that's going back to where Ashik has sort of put the Rockets in a hard spot. I mean, there's there's zero chance, uh, I would think, right now of Portland trading LaMarcus Aldridge. They're 9-2. and two. They've won seven straight games. Uh, I think the, the Timberwolves are 7-4. and four. Um, Both of those guys are going to be free agents at the end of next year. Uh, it's just too much time. The Rockets need more time before something's going to shake out with with those guys, and you know this timeline has has changed quickly on them. So I think you you push those two out. I, I want to just mention some possibilities uh, to you. And the first one is Paul Gasol, a guy we have a little bit of history with. Um, he's interesting to me. I know he's getting up there in age. Um, interesting to me simply because the Lakers are a team. Uh, they're expecting Kobe Bryant back. Uh, here soon, but they're a team that's been a little bit disappointing. Um, not sure what their future is, and they do, you know, have plans to pursue LeBron James this offseason. So that that certainly impacts this. Uh, but Powell is a big contract, can slide over, play center, um, has a, a lot of ideal fit type qualities, a, a good mid range game. Uh, what are your thoughts on how that could work, given that his salary is so large? Yeah, I mean, and I'm I'm an unabashed Powell supporter. I really love his game. Um, unfortunately, really the only way to make a, a feasible trade for Powell Gasol, you'd have to include both Oshik and Jeremy Lin. I think there's really no other way to do it without it becoming um, such a large trade from the sheer number of players standpoint. You might have to include like eight players from the Rockets if you if 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 uh, two of them aren't Oshik uh, and Lin, um, so I think the only feasible way to do it would be to trade Oshik and Lin. And the way Jeremy's playing right now, I don't see them making that trade. So unfortunately, Pat, you know, as much as I love Pal, I think just the sheer size of that contract would make it pretty difficult. And I assume your assessment would be the same for Chris Bosh. Now I look at that situation, uh, Miami. They're seven and three. They're uh, two-time NBA champions. There's no reason for them to make that trade. I, I kind of dismiss it outright. But <clears throat> that is a uh, speculative uh, proposal that gets thrown out there by fans. Uh, I'm assuming contract-wise, it would be similar. Yeah, Gasol makes a little over twenty million. Uh, Bosh makes a little over nineteen. So yeah, you, you'd have to trade uh, both Oshik and Lynn, and and that's not necessarily to say that the Rockets wouldn't do that, but um, you know you are giving up a lot of uh, firepower to make a trade like that, and you know I think uh, 
there's a lot to be said for Miami adding a guy like Oshik and a guy like Lynn, I think that could potentially help them. But, uh, you know, Bosch is a star for a reason and he's got a, a, a very good array of skills and I think he'd be a great fit next to Howard. But, um, you know, between the, the structure of a trade given Bosch's salary and the fact that, look, Miami's coming off back-to-back titles and they're not necessarily uh, – you know, aching to break up that core. So, yeah, the, the couple of those are a couple of big roadblocks to any Bosch trade. The one curveball I'd throw out there, because we're going to talk exclusively about uh, power forwards and bigs and uh, fits for the Rockets, is is Rajon Rondo, simply because that is a team Mikhail and, and Daryl Morey both have good relationships with, being the Boston Celtics. Um, ideal textbook situation and that they have a, a star player that they probably want to flip for rebuilding type assets, not to say Ashik is necessarily, but that's probably a situation where you would think the textbook and how they would try to go for uh, adding talent to the to the Rockets. But I'm not sure about his fit necessarily. I mean, he's uh, not a three-point shooter, a defensive guard, almost seems like an upgraded Beverly as opposed to a, a Lynn replacement. Uh, yet it would definitely cost you, Lynn and, and Ashika, to start. Um, what are your thoughts on on Rondo as far as uh, a trade for the Rockets? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I pretty much agree with you. I mean, he, star power, absolutely. He's a better player than either Ashik or Lynn. Uh, you know, the best, probably best defensive point guard in the league, either him or Chris Paul. Um, you know, he, he's a stud, uh, but his skill set doesn't necessarily fit with what the Rockets are trying to do. He's a terrible shooter, uh, and he needs to dominate the ball to be effective. Yeah. So that's not a good fit next to James Harden. Also, you know, from what I read, uh, not the, the greatest guy in the locker room, yeah. which is something that, uh, you know, when you have Omer Ashik being the locker room problem, then you, you probably don't want to add too many locker room cancers. But, uh, you know, I'm – yeah, I, I'm sure the Rockets will explore any trade for a high-caliber player, but yeah, the it just doesn't seem to be a fit with with the rest of the core. Yeah, you're right, and I think what what you said at the end is what spurs me to bring his name up because I think the Rockets, if more than any other team in the league, perhaps treat players like assets, and I don't mean that in any derogatory way, but they just run their team in such a business-like fashion, whether it's sending players to the D League. Uh, you know, even in this Oshik situation, we're, you know, 11 games in and Rockets probably shouldn't be in this position. You know, to me, I almost look at it like, uh, you know, we talked about this before, but like uh, 1996, when, when the Lakers knew they were going to get Shaquille O'Neal, they, they flipped uh, Vlade Divac for the, the rights to pick uh, Kobe Bryant in the draft. But uh, in, you know, you look at the Rocket situation, it's almost like they they said, hey, we're going to get Shaq, but we're going to keep Vlade, and we're going to trade him at the right time, and, and we're going to play those two together. And that's kind of the, the, the situation they're in. But getting back to this Rondo deal, even if he's not the, the right fit, I almost look at it like the Rockets would be cashing in some pieces for some star appeal that they could perhaps flip in another deal. And kind of reminiscent of the uh, Thomas Robinson trade. Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. I mean, I don't look at it like I don't know what Rondo's market value is in that sense because of the negative, some of the negatives that you outlined. It's locker room uh, appeal is not exactly super high, but uh, that's what I think could be a possibility because the Rockets timeline has been rushed a little bit that I could see them doing that same instance uh, before we get into sort, sort of some uh, 
less sexy options that could be perfect fits for this team is the, is the first round pick option. Sort of what they did with Kyle Lowry in that they just took a gutsy step forward um, on sort of blind faith in, in trading Kyle Lowry for a pick that they felt would entice um, rebuilding teams or lottery teams. And granted, that wasn't what OKC is at all. Um, but that's what the the gamble they took and it paid off and, and later flipping it for James Harden. But we could see something similar. What do you think? Um, I doubt we're going to get a pick. We could get a pick for Oshik similar to the one that, that uh, the Rockets got for Lowry, uh, simply because of the draft we're talking about. Um, I guess, and, and you know, a lot of people criticize Toronto for giving up the pick that they did to begin with, but you were looking at the time at a, a probable 2013 lottery pick, uh, which was a year that was not exactly the most heralded draft class. The 2014 draft class is expected to be one of the best ever, and I don't think there's any team in the league that's going to give you a first-round pick without at least lottery protection. You could find a couple of teams that are kind of teetering on the outside of the playoffs that are desperate to make it this year. And one team that was probably a good fit, and there were, I think, uh, Adrian, uh, Adrian Wojnarowski wrote an article about it uh, saying that the Rockets uh, had discussions in the offseason with the, the Washington Wizards um, mm, yeah. who were looking for a center. Uh, they ended up, The Wizards ended up trading a top 12 protected first-round pick to Phoenix for Martian Gortat. Uh, the rumors were that the, the Wizards and Rockets were discussing a trade involving Oshik going to Washington for a pick. Um, but I think there were issues over the protections on that pick. And then in order to make a trade work, the Wizards were likely going to have to trade a Mecca Okafor, who makes over $14 million in the last year of his contract, uh, and that's who they ended up trading to Phoenix. Uh, I don't think the Rockets had any interest in taking on Okafor's contract. Yeah, I think you're right on that. I think I'm going to guess that uh, the Rockets were probably debating uh, the protection there and, and probably saying, hey, you know, Oshik's a better, has more of an impact on the defensive end of the floor than Gortat. So, you know, we talked about the star appeal and, and the first round pick and, and sort of asset management, but then there's just sort of the plug and play uh, ideal fits you would think on paper. Uh, and that's Paul Millsap with Atlanta, uh, Ryan Anderson with the Pelicans, and perhaps to a lesser extent, uh, Irsan Ilyasova with the Bucks. Um, those teams have, uh, certainly in the case of Atlanta and New Orleans, power forwards, sort of playing center that you would think would just, it would be ideal to slide them over to power forward uh, by trading out the guys that are currently playing power forward in Millsap and Anderson. Uh, your thoughts on on how those basically, as far as contracts and trades, how those would fit? Well, um, on Anderson, I, I think you know he fits very well with what the Rockets want to do. I think uh, Anderson was a great fit next to Dwight Howard in Orlando, just an elite three point shooting power forward who can also rebound the ball and defend a little bit, not much of a defender. Um, Ilyasova with the Bucks is a similar player, very good three-point shooter, uh, very good rebounder. Um, but I'll, on the Bucks, I I don't know. It would probably have to be a three-team trade because I think with Larry Sanders just getting his big new contract extension, I don't know if the Bucks are going to be looking for a defensive starting center. Um, but I think of all of the 
all of the players out there, the one that, that would appear to make the most sense is Millsap. He apparently is an uh, analytics darling uh, with some of his, his advanced stats. He's a good all-around player, um, good not great defender, good rebounder. Uh, I think his three-point shooting is underrated. Uh, his percentage is not that great, but uh, if you discount the first few years of his career when it wasn't really part of his game, since then he's shooting in the low 30s. Uh, and I think if that were something he concentrated on, kind of like Patrick Patterson did uh, last summer before last season and trying to make it more part of his game, I think he could become a, at least a decent three-point shooter. Uh, just kind of all-around player guy who gets you a block and a steal a game. Uh, and contractually, it, it's a good fit too because uh, he makes nine and a half million uh, this year and next. There, a lot of people were shocked that he agreed to only sign a two-year contract as an unrestricted free agent uh, with Atlanta, and so his salary is is very close to Oshik's cap figure. So you could do a straight up one-for-one swap. I'm sure the parties would negotiate whether there would be additional compensation going one way or another. Uh, and then the length of the contract's the same. Uh, both Ashik and Millsap's contracts end in 2015 when, depending on what the Rockets do this summer with Chandler Parsons, the Rockets could potentially have a boatload of cap room in 2015 when Jeremy Lin uh, and either Ashik or Millsap's contracts go off the books. Chandler Parsons sits free agency uh Patrick Beverly hits free agency, but both Parsons and Beverly have cap holds that are so minuscule you could keep them on the books before you sign them. Um, so that may be figuring into the Rockets' thinking when they decide you know who they want to trade Oshik for. And if it if it were all else equal between Anderson and Millsap, Millsap the timing of Millsap's contract is, is something else that really works in his favor. So I don't know if you've crunched the numbers, but do the Rockets have, or are they close enough to to max cap room possibility in 2015, if, uh, or even right now, the way they currently are with Oshik and, and Lins coming off the books, but if they were to make a Millsap move, do you think that they would have that much cap room? Um, it, it, so much depends on, on league revenues over the next couple of years. Um, if revenues continue on the current path, they'll probably have, Max or near max, depending on what level of player. You know, James Harden's max is a significantly less lesser figure than Dwight Howard's max. So uh, they could have 15 to 17 million in cap room. So you know, nothing to sneeze at. Is it, you know, is it Kobe Bryant money? Is it LeBron James money? No, but it's close enough where if you get a star that wants to come make a lot of money, like a Lamarcus Aldridge or a Kevin Love. They might kind of take the LeBron Wade Bosch 2010 Miami Heat discount uh, to come <laughs> sure. to the Rockets, and that's when they're both free agents and both unrestricted free agents, correct? Correct. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, Lamarcus is an unrestricted free; his contract's up, and Kevin Love, I think, has an early termination option, which she will almost undoubtedly exercise and become an unrestricted free agent. Yeah, you know, we we have to. Be- patient there, but that's uh, one situation where you think, you know, the Rockets would probably not sacrifice uh, that cap room unless it was a star player that they were getting back. Yeah, I mean, we'll see what they do with with, with Parsons, what they do with their mid-level exception next summer, because, uh, you know, one thing that 
uh, we don't really talk about now because it's not an immediate action item, but uh, the Rockets could have their full mid-level exception to use next summer, and depending on what caliber of player would be willing to take a massive pay cut to, to sign for the full mid-level exception, that could change some of their thinking as well. But, um, you know, big picture-wise, I think they might have their eyes set on a bigger star, but but also in the short and midterm, they're looking for a high-quality player because they're not going to trade Oshik for just any, you know, Tom, Dick, or Harry. Right. And I don't, I mean, the way the Rockets are structured, I don't think they're going to, you know, hold back on talent simply because they hope to be able to lure one of those guys in, in 15. But it is interesting to me. And I, I would throw out there, as you mentioned, just to make sure I heard you correctly, if they, you know, made Parsons a restricted free agent this summer, signed him, that torpedoes that cap room, correct? Um, you never know because they're, they're, they could always make five more moves you didn't anticipate, but most likely you're not going to be talking max cap room because between um, Harden, Howard, and whatever Parsons is making, that's not going to leave max cap room, even if league revenues do pretty well. Sure. There you have it, man. I appreciate you coming on, David. It's uh, always good catching up with you. I think this is, uh, you know, obviously Oshik is has come back to practice now and, and back with the team, and hopefully they can, uh, you know, sort of work this out. I mean, I think he could still have an impact. I I was a big believer that the Twin Towers experiment was going to fail, but how much of that was related to Oshik sort of maybe not giving maximum effort in some of those. Uh, final games and I think he had two rebounds in 19 minutes I believe in in Philly Toronto excuse me when Valanciunas was grabbing all those rebounds Uh, I just I don't know how much of that played a role because they looked so good at times the Twin Tower uh, lineup uh, in the preseason and granted it was against teams that uh, were ideal fits or ideal opponents for that kind of a lineup but you know I, I just I think there might be more potential than what we've seen in the first 11 games. No, I, I agree. I mean, I think you can still play it against teams like Memphis and San Antonio that have two legitimate big guys uh, in their lineups. Um, and I think it can work in spurts. I think when you try to force feed it for significant stretches against team, a lot of these teams that play small ball, you know, it, it may be ineffective. But um, I, I don't view in the in the interim before they can work a deal for Oshik, uh to send Oshik out. I think you can play Oshik more than just the 10 minutes that Howard's on the bench. I think you can find minutes here and minutes there, uh, just maybe not significant stretches together. Always a pleasure, David. Thanks for coming on, and we'll do it again soon. My pleasure. More podcasts. Give the people what they want. (laughs) We'll do it. Thanks, man. All right. Take care.